Welcome to the Rabbi Greenberg Show, the podcast that brings Jewish knowledge to you. Pharaoh has a problem. The Jewish people are beginning to proliferate, and Pharaoh doesn't know what to do. So Pharaoh calls together his wise men, and they have to think of an idea of how to reduce the Jewish population, because he was concerned, as the Torah says, that if they continue to grow, they will eventually leave the land. Rashi tells us that that was a euphemism. What he really meant to say was, we will be forced to leave. They will chase us out. So what do we do to reduce their population? So plan A was to oppress the Jews, to enslave them. And after a protracted period of time where they regimented Jews into work, first they did it by convincing them that it would be a good thing for rebuilding the country, they would even pay them, and little by little they began to regiment them into a slave force, torturous slave labor. But the Torah tells us that the more they oppressed them, the more they would grow, the more they would proliferate, they would grow exponentially. So he realized that persecution itself is not going to destroy the Jewish people. And you know, throughout Jewish history, when our enemies, the anti-Semites of the world, try to destroy us, thinking that if they persecute us, that will dampen our spirits, that will reduce our ability to produce great teachings of Torah and all the other good things that we're known for, that didn't work. Persecution, in fact, brought out the best in so many of us. And the enemies are just dumbfounded. Why are they continuing to survive in spite of the fact that we are doing everything to reduce the number. So Pharaoh realizes that plan A is a failure. So now he goes to plan B. He summons the Hebrew midwives, and the Torah identifies them by name. One of them was called Shifra, and one was called Pua. Now, we're told, as the Talmud says, that Shifra and Pua were really nicknames. The true names, Shifra was Yocheved, Moses' mother, and Pua was Miriam, Moses' sister. Well, then why were they called Shifra and Pua? So Gemara, the Talmud explains that Shifra comes from the word that means beautiful. She would beautify the child, really pamper the child. And Pua, the word Pua, comes from a word in Hebrew that means to coo, to make pleasant sounds to the little baby, to comfort the little baby. So the two midwives were told that when they come to the delivery of a child, of a Jewish child, if they see it's a boy, they should kill the boy. If it's a girl, let her live. Well, the midwives did not do as Pharaoh had ordered them to do, and they brought the children, they brought life to the children. And of course, Pharaoh realized that plan B was an equal failure. And he resorted then to plan C, which we won't go into right now, but it's about throwing the boys in the Nile. But when we talk about plan B, there are so many questions that come to the surface. Question number one, if Pharaoh wanted to get rid of the Jewish people, why did he have them kill the boys and not the girls? Because by killing the girls, that would have prevented any new children from being born, and the boys could remain alive and become slaves. 
Number two, if he had to kill boys or girls if he, to reduce population, by killing the boys and leaving the girls alive, there's always a chance that those girls will reproduce by virtue of all the boys that were already born. So that would thwart and undermine his whole plan. Question number three, why did he even bother asking the Hebrew midwives to perform this dastardly act of murdering the babies, the baby boys? He had soldiers at his disposal. And in fact, when, they gave, when he gave the order to throw the baby boys in the Nile, he didn't use Jewish midwives. He didn't use Jews. He used his own soldiers. So why over here did he employ the services of the Hebrew midwives? Another question is, why did he summon just two midwives? There were a lot more than two midwives to deliver all the babies that were born. So why did he choose these two? Of course, a simple explanation is these were the main midwives, and maybe they would get all the other midwives to follow suit. But the question still needs a more profound, a more spiritual explanation. What was Pharaoh's real design? What was really his way of operating here? When Pharaoh is giving this order, we believe, of course, that the Torah is historically true and that there was a Pharaoh who tried to harm the Jewish people, enslave them and torture them and reduce their numbers. But Pharaoh was also a metaphor. It's a metaphor for the forces of exile, whether it is the tyrants of the future who follow Pharaoh's example or whether it's just the forces of exile, the Jewish people not being in their own land and being subjected to influences that are alien to being Jewish. So when we're reading about this plan B, about the midwives, this is how we are to understand it. When the tyrants of the world, when the forces of exile, beginning with Pharaoh, realize that you cannot destroy the Jewish people by destroying them, by trying to diminish their numbers through persecution and oppression. You can't succeed. Yes, you could harm some, you could reduce the numbers somewhat in one direction, but then they'll pop up in another direction. You can't vanquish them. So he realized that the Jewish people have this uncanny power to resist the forces of exile. They could be in exile, they could be subjected to all of its horrors, and they could still survive and even thrive. So he thought of a beautifully crafted plan to hijack the very forces of redemption, the very forces of resistance to exile in the service of keeping them in exile and keeping them enslaved. This was a brilliant idea. Why should I try to fight them when I could take their power that they somehow are able to access and use their power against them. Well, where do you get the power of redemption? Where did that come from? So Pharaoh realized, and the pharaohs of history realize, that the power of resistance derives from the women in general and the midwives in particular. Let me explain. In Hasidic literature, based on the teachings of Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, we're told, and this is based also on the Talmud as well, that women personify the power of redemption more than men. While every human being has this inner spirit of redemption, wanting to bring redemption to himself or herself or the world, 
women have it in much greater measure. We find, number one, the Talmud says that women were endowed with greater bina, greater understanding, and our sages tell us that bina has 50 different portals, 50 gates of understanding, and 50 is the symbol of the jubilee year, the year of freedom. So when a person is identified with bina, the Kabbalists, the mystics say, they are representative of the world of freedom. So femininity is synonymous with freedom. So when you take a woman who is much more expressive of freedom, spiritual freedom, and you harness her to go against freedom, it's a foolproof method of destroying the Jewish people. Now, number two, we find that women were much more resistant in actual historical uh, status. Look at what happened in Egypt. Amram, Moses' father, separated from his wife. This happened in the Plan C when all the boys would be thrown into the Nile. And Amram said, what's the point of having children if the boys will be killed? So he separated from his wife, and all the rest of the Jewish people followed suit because he was the spiritual leader. And Miriam, Moses' older sister, says to her father, you're just as bad, if not worse, than Pharaoh. He's killing the boys. You're killing the girls as well. No girls will be born if no one is married. And he took his wife back. So it was the woman, Miriam, who fought against the idea of surrendering to the forces of exile. Then later on we find that when the men were so weary and so crushed from the slave labor that they no longer wanted to engage in reproduction, the women were the ones who encouraged them to have children. Later on when the Jews are in the desert, what happens? The men build a golden calf through the contributions of their jewelry. The women refused to give their jewelry for the construction of the golden calf, whereas when it came to the construction of the Mishkan, the tabernacle, the sanctuary in the desert, the women came ahead of the men. Later on, when the spies returned from Israel with a slanderous report and generating a sense of despair, the Jews started crying, we're told that only the men, the women did not cry, they didn't lose their faith, they resisted the desire to succumb to the pressures of exile, of defeat, of pessimism. So Pharaoh said, where can I find a better power to use against them than the women? But within the women, within femininity, the midwives had this greater power because The whole idea of redemption is likened to birth. The prophet Ezekiel, when he talks about the exodus from Egypt, he refers to to the birth of the Jewish people. When we talk about the messianic age of redemption, it's referred to as the birth of the Jewish people and all the suffering that we endured in the last decades or centuries, especially the Holocaust, were understand to be the birth pangs that accompany the birth of a child, the birth pangs of, of Mashiach. So when you have a midwife who's responsible for bringing life into this world, who's responsible for birth, that is even a more potent power of redemption, the power of birth by women whose whole lives was devoted to changing the status of exile, Shifra. Shifra means to beautify. Pua means to coo, to calm and soothe the baby. In exile, these were women who were capable of reversing the effects of exile by bringing beauty into a time of ugliness, to bringing calmness in a time of tumult, 
And that's why, by the way, the Torah doesn't give you their real names, Yocheben and Miriam, but it gives us their nicknames because it's trying to say that Pharaoh took advantage of the fact that these women personified the power against exile, and now he's going to use them in the service of keeping the Jews enslaved in exile. Now, Pharaoh tells the midwives, I want you to kill the baby boys. I want you to suppress the power of redemption. And what happens is that the midwives say to Pharaoh, well, the women have given birth before we were able to get to them. They give birth without the need of a midwife. So what exactly does that mean on a spiritual level? What that means was Pharaoh was convinced that somehow the women had access to some outside power. They could use that power to influence anyone and everyone So Pharaoh said, why don't you use that power for destroying life rather than for giving life? And the midwife said, you don't get us. You don't understand us. This is an innate power. The women are able to give birth. The women are able to produce, reproduce, and produce the energy of redemption because it's in their genes. It's in their nature. It's innate. It's inherent in them. I don't have to. We don't have to force them. We don't have to take our power that we somehow are able to access and impose itself on them, they have it within them. We just inspire them to reveal their own inner spirituality, their own own spiritual power of redemption. The truth is that we all have the power of redemption in us, and it just takes some mentors, spiritual guides, and leaders to help us activate and actualize that inner spirit. But we have to always be wary that this power of redemption, this power of resistance, could be used against us. The enemies of the Jewish people can take the creativity of the Jewish people, their ability to fight against all odds, and use it even in a destructive manner. To use one example is that some people have used the messianic ideal as a way of saying that we no longer need to perform the commandments because we have the messianic age. Everything is already fulfilled. That is a heresy that is what we call antinomian. It's against the idea that we have still an obligation to fulfill all the commandments. And the truth is, when Mashiach comes, we will be able to observe all of the commandments, many of which we cannot do today, and we'll be doing them with more intensity than even the way we can do them today. So to use the power of redemption against the very forces that bring redemption, namely the observance of the mitzvot, is an example of hijacking the power of redemption. So whenever we see we have this spirit of resistance, this stubbornness, we have to realize that that's the power of redemption in us, and it should be used to advocate for and bring about the final redemption. Thanks for listening to The Rabbi Greenberg Show.